0: If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at that passage that we just read just a second ago in Ephesians chapter 5, but let's pray first. God, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for this time of year as we enter into this Advent season, as we, as we think about what it means that you've come to us, that you've bodily entered into your creation, and we thank you for this season. We thank you for this past week where we could give much thanksgiving for all the things that you've given us. Uh, we have so much to be grateful for. Uh, We pray this morning that as we open your word that you would lead and guide and teach us uh, as we often confess as we come to your word, we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that you would be here to be our teacher and our guide, that you would take the eternal truths of your word and you would apply them to our hearts and our minds this morning, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to see more fully who you are and what you've done for us. We pray that above all that your name would be lifted up, that we would make much of you this morning, and we'd leave here having seen you more clearly. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I wanted to just ask a question. How many of you are familiar uh, with the term, uh, uh, the idea of a straw man argument? If you've ever heard that term before, often we talk about it in debate uh, philosophy. They talk a little bit about that. If you've ever heard that term before, if you haven't, that's okay. A straw man argument is when two people are debating or arguing about something where you, uh, as, as one side, let's say you're having a disagreement. You take the other person's view and you kind of exaggerate it or you twist it or you distort it. And then you attack the distortion rather than what they actually believe. Uh, good example, our political, uh, world today, right? If you want to see a good example of that, uh, watch one of the presidential debates that just happened not long ago. What what you'll see is two people attacking each other, and what you'll often see is the other person go, well, I don't believe that. I didn't say that. I didn't. Constantly back and forth. That's kind of the way we operate today in our political realm. It gets real frustrating because you're kind of like, "Ah, how do we even get to the truth of anything if we're always speaking past each other and we don't agree? And so one of the things in, in debate is we'd say we want to always represent the person you're debating their position so well that they'd say, yes, that's what I believe. And then you say, okay, good, let's now talk about those things. And so when we erect a straw man argument, it really doesn't help at all. And sadly, you see that all around like in the political realm today. But the sad truth is I think sometimes we see that within the church when it comes to theology and the things that maybe we disagree on or the way that we say them. And what ends up happening is we end up giving poor misrepresentation of what other people believe and kind of put down them for their beliefs, but not addressing what they actually believe. Uh, Or a lot of times we kind of erect straw man arguments on either side and we attack those back and forth and we never really stop to look exactly at what scripture says because we've erected all these kind of strange arguments around it. And all that's not very helpful at all. When we start to try to get to the, the heart of what scripture actually says and what God tells us, those things can become a distraction that are very unhelpful. And I mention that because I think a lot of times when we come to this subject that we've been on for the last, I guess, five or six weeks now, the Holy Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I see that a lot of times around the Holy Spirit, probably more than anything else when it comes to theology, bad arguments, misrepresentations, kind of throwing out extremes on either end and not really what scripture says. And I mentioned that because this morning, if you even see the title of the sermon, we're going to talk about what Paul says here in Ephesians five, when he says, be filled with the spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit or to be spirit filled or, or, or to walk by the spirit and those kind of things that scripture clearly tells us. But what often happens is we begin to talk about that. We get into kind of extremes and not really seeing what scripture actually says. And I think that's very unhelpful. And so I want us to look real clearly at what Paul says here in Ephesians five about what it looks like to be filled with the spirit, because he does say that here. He does say very clearly in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter five, but be filled with the spirit. And so it's a pretty important thing. If you were here with us last week, our our, our visiting missionary Virgil Jones spoke on the Holy Spirit, And, and I loved what Virgil said. He said, Jesus instructed us to wait until we're clothed on high from the spirit and then go make disciples. And Virgil rightly said, we can't do anything that God's called us to do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we seek clear commands about being filled with the spirit and the way Jesus connects that to the mission of the church, it becomes pretty important that we know what that means. And so I want us to think about what that looks like today to be filled with with the Spirit as we look at Ephesians 5 together. And so this is the way I want us to start, is to try to clear the uh, the table a little bit and say what it's not. Because I think there's some things that I often get approached with, and I want you just to think about this before I even get to that. I have people regularly ask about our church through emails, people I meet, and, and sometimes the question I will get is are you a Spirit-filled church? Now, now I, no... Uh, Uh, I don't want to plan anything in your mind, but whatever you think that means. And so I I often say, I sure hope we are, (laughs) because if we're not, we should go ahead and just stop what we're doing. Because Jesus says we can't do any of it without the power of the spirit. So I sure hope so. But then I'll often ask, well, but what do you mean by that? And so I don't know how you would fill in the blank of that. But oftentimes the things I hear are not exactly what I think the scripture says. And we get a whole lot of things around it. And so the first thing I want us to think is what it's not. Then secondly, what does he say it is here? And then lastly, what does it look like? And so I want us to consider what Paul actually says here. But let's start with that idea of what it's not. Maybe some of the poor misrepresentations when we say that. And so I kind of pose that question of what do you think it looks like to when or what do you think of when people say that? Or, or maybe how would you answer it if somebody asked you about it? If Church of the Apostles is you're a member here and you're part of this church and they say, well, is your church a spirit-filled church? How would you answer that? And, and depending on your background or where you grew up or what church you were in or what denomination you're a part of, you might answer that differently. What I have found when I ask that question, what do you mean? Often what I get is an explanation of I'm looking for a place that has very emotionally charged worship. That's usually what's told back to me, which which there's nothing wrong with your emotions being part of worship. That's not a bad thing. So don't hear me saying that. Uh, I I think when we're seeing God clearly for who he is and what he's done and we're worshiping out of that, our emotions are going to be involved. I don't know how they could not be if we're seeing God for who he is. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I end up hearing is I ask questions and kind of walk through that as it becomes very much focused on uh, emotion, kind of intensity of worship, and then it becomes the subjective feeling that I get. I'm looking for a feeling. That, that's what it ends up getting explained to me oftentimes. I'm looking for a spirit-filled church that I get this, this warm, fuzzy, kind of tingly feeling, and that's what I'm looking for. And the problem is, and I'm starting with what it's not, and the reason I start there with that description is I think we miss a lot of what Scripture says being filled with the Spirit looks like if we completely focus on an emotion. I don't know about you, but my emotions can betray me very easily. Uh, I think that's a true statement for most of us, uh, if not all of us. The Bible tells us, that our heart is deceitful above all things because we're sinful, broken people. Our emotions can kind of be up and down and all over the place. And I think it's wrong when we take the idea of spirit filled and just connect it to a feeling that I have a very subjective feeling and that's spirit filled. And this is not or or vice versa. And I think we end up focusing on too narrow of a part rather than the fullness of what God says when he talks about what it means to be spirit filled. And I want you to think about just even that picture. What I often get is, are you a spirit filled church? And then I say, well, tell me what that means. And then it's all about your Sunday worship and the feeling and the emotion that's associated with what happens for an hour or an hour and a half or two hours on Sunday morning. If you've been here for any time, you know where I'm going to go with this real quickly. I say this often. We don't go to church. We are the church. We gather together as the body of believers, a worship gathering of the church of the apostles. This is not the church one hour a week on Sunday morning. This is the worship gathering of God's people who are the church who come together to worship. And so when somebody wants to define spirit filled church by the hour that happens on Sunday morning, we've already got a huge problem. Because it's not just this time. Although this is important. And it's valuable and worship is part of that. And that is all true and good. But when we just focus in on that, we miss a huge part of what it means to be spirit filled. And so I want us to think about this picture and how the struggle we have if we make it all about an experience or a subjective feeling. And I think Paul even draws this out in the analogy he uses here. And so look at what he says there, beginning in verse 15. Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Notice he starts to talk about this idea of all of our time. Because right? he's going to say in just a second in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything, always, all of the time. Right. But then look at what he says, verse 16 or 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine For that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And so Paul uses an analogy of being drunk. And he says, it's not this. Don't be drunk with wine like this, which leads to debauchery. But then he gives us this contrast, but be filled with the spirit. And so I want you to think about what he's driving at by using that analogy or that picture here. And so he says, don't be drunk, but be filled with the spirit. So what does it mean to be drunk? means to be saturated or soaked in, to be so much that you are now controlled by uh, alcohol, to be drunk, to be saturated or controlled in, dominated by. And, and what happens when you become drunk is you become unclear in your thinking. There's some things that happen when you become uh, drunk or saturated with alcohol that you're now not thinking straight. And it kind of gives you a false sense of a lot of things. I had the interesting experience of my freshman year in college. I've never been a drinker. I just don't like alcohol. That's not a spiritual thing on my part. I just don't like the taste of it. And so as a freshman in college, it wasn't even so much a conviction. I just didn't like it. And so I was around all these guys in my dorm that got drunk regularly. It's very interesting to, to take part of a freshman in college in a dorm room where you're the lone, single, sober person. I remember my roommate telling me how funny he was when he was drunk. I was like, no, you're not. You're really not funny at all. You just think you are because you're now drunk. Or they would say things about, uh, I thought it was interesting to be sitting there and see it from a sober mindset. I would see guys who never showed any emotion, were very macho. They would start drinking together and then suddenly it's, I love you man so much. This false sense of intimacy that starts to come out when you're drunk or you're saturated or you're soaked in it. And it gives you a sense that you're closer than you are. It gives you a sense of transparency that you don't really have because you, you're not seeing things clearly. And so what happens is you start to get into this state where you kind of forget your problems and things feel great or they seem good for the moment, but it's not reality. And I think the picture here of this, when we start to think about don't get drunk with wine for it leads to debauchery, but be filled with the spirit is I think the same thing can happen when we begin to chase a feeling or an experience instead of seeing clearly who God is in everything of our life. We chase this feeling and for a moment we feel better. Or we feel like things are really great now because I had this experience in this moment. And then we leave and then everything kind of comes crashing down. It's the same thing with drunkenness. You may forget your problems for a few moments, but then you wake up in the morning and you have a terrible headache and everything's back to reality. And I think the same can be true when we begin to chase those in these different ways. And I would tell you what Paul says here and what he says in Galatians 5 that we also read this morning, he paints a very different picture of that. He doesn't paint a picture of being swept up in emotion. In fact, he says something very different. Like in in verse 20, he talks about giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about chasing a moment in time where everything feels great for, for a little bit. He says, I want you to give thanks in everything always. Or when you read in Galatians Chapter five, he says, this is the work of the flesh. And he gives you that whole big, long list. Like right? the works of the flesh are evidence. And he starts to go through all these things. And he says, fits of anger and rivalry and dissension and division and envy and drunkenness. And he says all these things. And then he paints a very different picture of what the fruit of the spirit is. He says, the fruit of the spirit is love and it's joy and it's peace. And it's patience and it's kindness and it's goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And when we begin to think about chasing an emotional high, a feeling to me that that's very different than the picture he paints of being self-controlled. And being peaceful in all things and being joyous in all things and giving thanks to God, the father through his son, Jesus for everything, always. It's not just a moment in time. It's not just the feeling that comes and goes. It's a whole life thing that he's pointing us to. As so we start to talk about what it's not. I don't think the picture that the scriptures paint for us of being filled with the spirit is emotionally driven high that I seek out through great worship that happens for a little bit. And then I go back to my regular life. I don't think that's the picture. And I think part of the reason we even get that is because we define church what happens here for an hour on Sunday rather than us being the church. So what is it then? If it's not just that emotional feeling, it's something more than that. What is it that he talks about? And so if you look there in 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And then he gives you a description of what it looks like. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he says, be filled with the spirit. And then it looks like this. And so it does look like worship, right? That's that's not is that not what he says in verse 19, that we are going to be addressing one another and songs and hymns and spiritual songs and the completeness of our heart, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Yes, it's a life of worship. There's nothing wrong with that. Please don't hear me saying that. That is a good thing. To have a worshipful heart. But I think the key when we start to talk about what it means to be spirit filled is right there in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we give thanks to the Father through Jesus in everything. You think about that? Uh, not just the good things. Not just things going well. Not when you had great worship. He says, in everything. Always. Always. And you go, well, how can that be? And he says, the way we do that is that we give thanks To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says to the Father through the Son. That's how you give thanks for everything. And that's what spirit filled looks like. And if you've been with us, we've talked about how the role and the work of the person of the Holy Spirit is that he magnifies Jesus. And then he tells us that spirit filled looks like giving thanks to the Father through what Jesus has done always. Do you see how those go together? If that's what the spirit does, he magnifies Jesus, then we're giving thanks always for what Jesus has done, that that's what spirit-filled looks like. And I want you to think more practically about what that means. We say here often, we talk about wanting to be gospel fluent or gospel centered. And sometimes we can say those kind of things assuming we know What that means, or we say it a lot and just think because we've said it a lot, everybody gets it? Gospel is the good news of who God is and what He's done. And we can summarize the gospel in that we were created to be in a relationship with God our Father, to be in perfect communion with Him, to walk with Him closely and rely on Him for all things. But because of our sin, we decided to turn our back on Him and say, We've got this ourselves. And the good news is that God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us like that. He says, I'm going to come into this earth and I'm going to live the life that you haven't lived in Jesus. I'm going to show you what that looks like. Jesus is going to come and he does it perfectly in every way. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, I will take your sin and your rebellion, those things that keep you from having a perfect communion with God, and I will take them on myself and I will pay for them and I will restore you to that relationship with God. And I redeem you and I bring you back by faith through grace. And and God says he's going to redeem all of his creation. That is the gospel. That is the good news of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so when we talk about being gospel fluent, it's really what Paul's talking about here. Giving thanks always for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we see how the good news, the gospel, comes to bear on every part of our life. And as it does, we can give thanks in every situation. Not just when we feel it in some emotionally charged worship. But in everything. And I think Paul makes that point very clearly if you really think through what he's saying here. Go back to verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. You know what the word debauchery means. You know what he's driving at when he says that. He says being spirit filled doesn't look like this being drunk, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery means to be squandered or spilled or wasted. I want you to think about that for a second. That's not what life in the Spirit looks like. That's not what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit, but to squander and to waste and to to miss all these things that are around you. And he says what it does look like is to be filled with the Spirit and then to praise God for everything always. And I would say to you, I think when when we chase emotional high experience... And then we leave and then we go, I can't wait till I can have another mountaintop experience like that. We end up missing or squandering or wasting all the time in between those two. But God's at work in all of it. There's a reason, he says, to give thanks to God the Father in all things always because he's at work in every minute of every day of your entire life. It's not just in the hour that you come here. It's not just in the time when we corporately worship. It's in all of it. And we can often squander it or waste it by not seeing that. It becomes just an emotional high from one emotional high to the next. What about all the time in between? God is still at work. He's still seeking to use you in all of that. Everywhere you go, in every relationship, in every experience. And he tells us this picture of not wasting it, but being disciplined to see God in all those things, being self-controlled and joyous and loving and forgiving in everything you do. That's what it looks like to be spirit filled. I was thinking about that this week, about giving thanks always and everything and how God's working in that. And this example came to mind. and It's not what you think of. I don't think it's not what I normally think of when I say spirit filled. It was at my my son Asher's soccer game a couple weeks ago. There was a call against the other team and it was the right call. The kid was off sides and they called it. And of course, somebody on the other team got upset. That's a horrible call. That's awful. And the guy kept going on and on and talking real loud and how nobody understood and why it was so on and on and on. And in my flesh, not walking by the spirit, I finally said, or maybe he was off sides. It was probably not the right thing to say. It didn't help anything. That was just me being frustrated enough, buddy. Just get over it. That made him really mad. And he never said anything directly to me. It was never a heated argument or anything. He was sitting down, but he just talked really loud where you could hear him and talked about how dumb I was and I didn't know the rules and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding and so I just kind of ignored him and watched the game and it goes on. And then finally, one of our friends goes, you know what he just said? I said, no, so he's going to punch you in the face if he sees you in the parking lot. i was like, what? Over literally saying, no, I think he's off sides. He's ready to fight me. And so in my mind and I read in, in reading Galatians, the, the works of the flesh, rivalry, anger, enmity, strife, dissension, division. That was me. My first thought was, I hope he does try to punch me in the parking lot. <laughs> now, I'm just going to admit, that was my flesh. That was the first part of it. And then I didn't say anything, and then I sat there, and then I started going through in my mind a, a bunch of uh, kind of quips I could say to make him look stupid. That, that's where my mind was. And, but I didn't say anything, and I just sat there, and I kind of ignored him, and then this incredible thing happened. Suddenly, I started thinking, why is he so mad over his kid's soccer game? Why does he want to punch me over a bad call? And then all of a sudden, I started to actually care about the guy. Like, what's going on in his life that he's so. And then you know what happened? Over a span of about 30 minutes, I was praying for him. That's not me, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Gives you a love for people that's beyond the things that your flesh wants to do. Instead of being angry, it was like, God, what's going on with this guy? Wanting to see him not be so angry over a stupid soccer game. That's not me. My flesh is I'm ready to fight him. But the Holy Spirit at work in us is a discipline It's pointing us to a great love for people that's showing us what it looks like to give thanks to the father through the son in all things. And as I begin to reflect on it and think about it, it's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He says debauchery is wasting spilling. You waste opportunities by being angry. Oh, I'm going to show them I'm right. That's my flesh. And now I'm missing how God is at work in all of this. You know, the other definition of debauchery, it's not just wasted or spilling, but it's also exhausting. I don't know about you, but for me, when I get angry and I do say, and, and there's been a lot of times where I've been sitting right there and I'd say something back. I don't want to paint the picture that I'm just this wonderful spirit filled, perfect in every way, everywhere I go. That's not true. There's times when I do say something back and you know what happens? It's exhausting and it's frustrating and I walk off going, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And it's not good. It's never good. It's never helpful. But that's often the way I respond instead of being peaceful and patient and kind and gentle and self-controlled. Instead of giving thanks to the Father through the Son for all things, always. And oftentimes that's what I do. The same is true. We often can do that when we're seeking to do good things. If you thought about that, we can exhaust ourselves by trying to be really religious. I'm going to do a lot of good things. I'm going to try to emulate what it looks like uh, to please God and everything. And then we just wear ourselves out. And I think part of the reason we do that is we never stop to ask God. We never stop to say, what can I be doing for you in the power of your spirit for your name? And we think we just busy ourselves with a lot of things and it's really exhausting. I had a good friend who said this to me once. It was very convicting when he talked about it. He he was explaining how uh, he'd get to the end of his day and this guy's a pastor And he'd say, I I work really hard, and I go, and I meet with people, and I do all these things, and I get to the very end of my day, and I'm just spent. He said, I'm exhausted. And he said, it's always on those days where I have a community group or something at my house, and everybody's about to leave, and I'm just so ready to collapse on the couch, and somebody says, hey, can I hang around for a little bit and talk to you? And he said, I always go, oh, okay, yeah. And he said, I'd go, and I'd pray. I'd say, God, give me the right attitude the right way to respond here, give me the energy and and use me in this. And he said, what would happen in those moments when I was so exhausted, it would be great. God would answer my prayer and he would show up and it would always be good and I'll always be glad and be thankful when it was done. He said, but what I realized is that I spent my entire day exhausting myself doing everything in the power of my flesh. And it was only ever when I got to the end of my rope that I then prayed and said, God, would you give me the power to do this in your spirit? And he said, so what I started doing is I'd get up in the morning and pray that at the beginning of the day. And he said, what I found is I'd get to the end of the day and I wasn't exhausted anymore because it's not exhausting to walk in the power of the spirit for God's glory in all things. But oftentimes we don't do that. And as he said that, I thought, man, how often do I not do that? How often is that not my prayer when I start the day? How often is it only when I come to the end of my rope that I begin to ask that it would be in the power of his spirit? And so Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, that's exhausting, that's wasting, but be filled with the Spirit. It's not those things. And that's the picture that we have. So that's what it doesn't look like, chasing these emotional highs, but what it does look like is seeing God in everything. And so think about what he says it looks like when we begin to live that way. See, when we see God in everything... He says, we'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. It's a pretty good description of a life of praise. Seeking to praise God in everything. When we're seeing Him at work in everything, we can thank Him and praise Him and do it from a true heart of worship always. Even when things are really hard. Even when our emotions are not overcome and overwhelmed at that moment. But in everything, as we begin to see him at work in and everything and, and giving praise to him in all things, being thankful in everything. And so you think about that picture. Remember, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and what he's done in everything. And as we grow in that and we grow in an understanding of that, which is exactly what we say discipleship is. Applying the gospel to every part of your life, every area of your heart. And as we begin to do that and see our identity and we live in that reality, it begins to make us praise Him more and more and be more thankful, even when things are difficult or hard. In everything, I think that's the picture of what it looks like to be spirit filled. It's not just chasing an emotional high. It's giving thanks always and everything. And when that happens and when it begins to form you and shape you and you're realizing that and you're giving him praise and you're thanking him, this incredible thing happens. It's a real heart of worship. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I was I was telling some guys the other day about what happened at the soccer game. And how God's changing my heart. And then all of a sudden I'm about to start crying I know that's hard to believe, but I get emotional because God's doing this thing in me. It's not me. I know what I'm like. And suddenly I see that it's the spirit at work showing me and giving me a love for other people that I would see their best through what Jesus has done. And so that's why we talk about being gospel fluent How the good news of who Jesus is touches down in every single area of your life. And as you begin to see that, there's a peace and a joy and a self-control that surpasses all circumstances. You think about that. You see how God is in control of it. Just think about the things that you struggle with as you go through your life. As you struggle with the things that are around you, the gospel goes to the very core of everything that you struggle with. And the more that we see and give thanks always for everything, to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the way we see that getting into everything. And so think of the places of the areas that you struggle in your life. My friend Nelson was sharing with me the other day, his job. They're laying off lots of people and everybody's really worried and they're kind of frustrated and whatever. And he said, this is so cool. Somebody in his work said, why are you not worried? Why are you so laid back about this? He said, God's in control of everything. Dude, I want to say, yes, he gets it. He's seeing how the gospel touches down and when he's frustrated or what's going on in his work and he can give thanks to God always for everything that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to be spirit filled. Hey, if I get laid off, God's in control. I know the God of the universe. He came and laid his life down to redeem me. Of course, he cares about me. I can trust him and give praise and thanks always and everything because of what he's done. And it begins to touch down in every area of your life. It goes to the core of everything. Or, or maybe uh, you look at your life and you struggle with where you are right now and you go, I thought at this age or at this point in my life, I'd be further along or I would have accomplished more. Or I would have, I'd feel better about myself or whatever it is. And we begin to struggle with that. It, it goes to our identity. I thought I'd be more successful. Or I'd be this or I'd be that the gospel touches down in that. That you are loved completely and totally and fully. That the God of the universe has come down and come into your life. And he loves you completely and totally already. And it doesn't matter what your job is. Or the car you drive or the house you live in or any of those things. And he begins to show you that. That's what it looks like to be spirit filled, to see that in everything. Or you look back at your life and things that you feel like you blew it. Our past hurts, our struggles, our frustrations, or you're struggling to forgive other people. Or you're struggling to believe you're forgiven. And then the gospel comes to bear on that, that the God of the universe loves you so much that he would lay down his life for you, that he truly has forgiven you in all things and that you can rest in that. You know what God showed me as I was thinking about that guy at the soccer field? Now the gospel comes to bear on an obnoxious parent that's talking trash to you. I, I hear it and I'm thinking about that and then I go, that's me and the way I respond to God, but yet he loves me anyway. And now I get the opportunity to show what God's like by being the way God has been to me to other people. For that's what spirit filled looks like. The Holy Spirit works in your heart to show you how Jesus, who he is and what he's done and how it pertains to everything. And when that happens, you can give thanks always and for everything to God the Father through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, imagine what that would look like if we were overcome with that. In everything. Giving thanks always to the Father through Jesus. People be like, what is wrong with those people? In a good way. And they love each other. And they forgive each other. And they continue to do so. And they walk around praising God all the time. You want to know why the church spread like crazy in Acts? Because that's what they were doing. It's what it looks like. And I'll be honest, as I, as I read through and I look at it, it doesn't seem that crazy. It seems pretty straightforward. Thank God for everything. Live a life of praise. The last part he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which just means helping each other to do this. Which is exactly everything we talk about with discipleship. Man, we want to see revival. we we'll see a Spirit-filled church. Love people. Point them to Jesus. Encourage one another. Live a life of praise. That's what it looks like. It's not that crazy or hard to understand, I don't think. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of your word. I thank you that you love us so much, that you give us. Your very spirit to live in us and with us, to teach us, to show us. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin, but then points us more fully to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And for that, I thank you. I pray that every day that we would grow in the reality of that, that you would help us to see more fully who you are. The good news of what you've done, how it touches down to every single area of our life and our relationships and how we care for one another and forgive one another, I pray that we would be overflowing with wanting to show people what you're like by the way we respond to everything. I pray that we truly would be a spirit-filled church that is so apparent in the way that we care for one another and love each other, the way we sing your praises, the way that we encourage one another, and it would all be for your honor and your glory. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.